Good afternoon, listeners. This is the DOGS program. The Australian Council for Defence Government Schools are here every Saturday and we are here to promote and protect public education. And also we are about separation of religion from the state because only if they are separate can our public schools be properly protected. But uh, we have some interesting material for you today. Uh, and uh, Oliver is going to read our press release 928, which you will find on our website at www.adogs.info. Public schools in Victoria are facing a funding crisis. Do your block. Over to you, Oliver. Thank you, Jean. Public schools in Victoria face a funding crisis. Combined Commonwealth and Victorian government funding for private schools has increased by four times that for public schools since 2009 to 2010. Projected funding estimates show that private schools will be overfunded by about $730 million for the rest of the decade, while public schools will be underfunded by nearly 20 billion. New figures produced by Trevor Cobalt from Save Our Schools show that government funding increases have massively favored private schools over public schools in Victoria since 2009 to 10. Between 2009-10 and 2019-2020, government funding for private schools increased by $2,582 per student, adjusted for inflation compared to $667 per student for public schools. In percentage terms, private school funding increased by 27.9% compared to only 5% for public schools. So what's to be done? The Australian Education Union have a plan for an Easter uprising they have sent the following to their members and supporters of the fair funding campaign as follows. If you want to participate, contact them and do your block. Here is their plan. And this is straight from the AEU. <clears throat> it's time to fund public schools properly and fairly. Hi, can you help us deliver every school, every child election flyers over the Easter holiday? We want to raise awareness about how the Morrison government has gone missing around ensuring public schools are properly and fairly funded. We can post 200 or 400 flyers for you to deliver in your neighborhood, fill in your details, and we'll post them out to you before the school holidays. The order deadline is noon, 23rd of March. With just weeks until the federal election, this is an important time to inform the public the Morrison government's failure and the need for any future government action to, uh, any future government to take action to support public schools. Warm regards, the Every School, Every Child team. And now to, to get your hands on those leaflets, if you go to www.everyschooleverychild.org.au, you'll be able to find some information to get them. Scott Morrison says it's not his job to ensure public schools are properly and fairly funded. He's wrong. Now, if you want to support this Easter push, you can go to www.everyschooleverychild.org.au and get some flyers posted out to you. Or if you want, you can even download and print your own flyer at home. And back to you, Jean. Well, there's certainly an election on the horizon. Mr Morrison hasn't been in Parliament very much this year. All he seems to be doing is floating around trying to um, shake people's hands. But um, this is an important time to raise a profile of our public school funding problem and uh, to let Mr Morrison know that uh, public schools have got their supporters and they are voters. So uh, we suggest that you contact the AEU and uh, get these flyers and do your block. Very good exercise. So we'll have a bit of a break and we'll come back to find out more about those facts and figures about the funding of Victorian public schools. It's all about a voice in our own country. We've got a reason to scream out, where's our voice in this country? You know, not that I want to be a part of the Constitution for that, you know. That's why 3CR is so important to, to me and this community here. We've got a voice, but it's not, you know, we're entitled to a bigger voice than what we've got, but it's all about having a voice. Subscribe to 3CR, fiercely independent and community controlled. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 
well, you're still listening to the Dogs Hope program, I hope, and um, we're going to find out from Kim and Dale just what Trevor Cobalt has been up to analysing those uh, My School website facts and figures. He has discovered, as we've just told you, that public schools in Victoria are facing a funding crisis. Over to you, Dale and Kim. Thanks, Jean. Uh, so public schools in Victoria face a funding crisis. Both the Commonwealth and Victorian government funding changes strongly favoured private schools over public schools. The Commonwealth increase for private schools was over double that for public schools, $2,420 compared to $1,100 per student. The Victorian government increased funding for private schools by $162 per student, but cut funding for public schools by $436 per student. There were significant differences in funding trends between the Commonwealth and Victorian governments. Commonwealth funding for public and private schools has continually increased since 2009 to 10, albeit at a faster rate for private than public schools. In contrast, Victorian government for funding for public schools fell by $1,477 per student adjusted for inflation under Labor and Liberal National Party governments in only four years between 2009-10 and 2014-15. Since then, funding for public schools under the Andrews government increased by $1,041 per student. However, five years after the Andrew government was elected, state government fundings for public schools has not recovered to its previous high in 2009-10. Total government funding for Victorian public schools in 2019-20 was $13,950 per student compared with $11,820 per student in private schools. The gap between government funding for public and private schools has narrowed considerably since 2009-10 as a result of the above changes. In 2009-10, government funding for public schools was 44% higher than for private schools, but by 2019-20, it was only 18%. Government funding allows private schools to have a huge resource advantage over public schools. Private schools supplement government funding by fees and other sources of income, which result in them having a much higher income per student than in public schools. For example, fees and other private income in Victorian independent schools was $16,247 per student in 2019, and their total income per student was $25,944 per student, which was over $10,000 per student more than the average for public schools. This resource advantage translates into a large difference in the availability of human and material resources between public and private schools. Public schools face greater teacher shortages, have far more teachers teaching out of field, have fewer educational materials and poorer quality infrastructure than do private schools. The resource advantage of private schools is set to increase over the rest of the decade to 2029 because of special deals for private schools by the Morrison government and because the Commonwealth Victorian bilateral funding agreement allows the Victorian government to continue to massively underfund public schools. In 2022, Victorian public schools are only funded at 84.6% of their schooling resource standard, the SRS, while private schools are funded at 101.7% of their SRS. Private schools will be funded at over 100% of their SRS from 2022 to 2029, while public schools will be funded at less than 91% of their SRS for the whole period from 2019 to 2029. Over to you, Dale. Thanks, Kim. The official Commonwealth and state projected shares of the SRS for public and private schools are misleading. The Commonwealth shares ignore funding for private schools outside the model. The actual SRS shares include funding from the $1.2 billion Choice and Accountability Fund for private schools only. Even these shares are underestimated because other funding outside the model is not included. The official Victorian government shares for public schools ignore special allowances for it to claim expenditures as part of its target share of the SRS that are not included in the definition of the SRS. These allowances include expenditure on depreciation, rural and regional bus, school bus transport, uh, the Victorian Curriculum and Assessment Authority and the Victorian Registration and Qualifications Authorities. The cumulative underfunding of public schools from 2019 to 2029 will amount to about $19.5 billion, while 
private schools will be overfunded by almost 400 million. The annual underfunding of public schools will reduce from just just under 2 billion in 2019 to about 1.6 billion in 2029. Private schools were underfunded for 2019 to 2021 by about 333 million as the Commonwealth and state governments increased their shares to meet the official 100% target. However, they will be overfunded from 2022 to 2029, and the cumulative overfunding will amount to about 730 million. Several highly exclusive wealthy private schools are massively overfunded as Commonwealth funding vastly exceeds its target 80% of the SRS for private schools. For example, figures provided to Senate estimates show that Commonwealth funding of St Leonard's College is at 117% of its SRS in 2022. For Essendon and Penley Grammar, it's at 115% of their SRS. Melbourne Grammar at 107% of its SRS. Brighton Grammar at 100% of its SRS. MLC at 98%. And Geelong Grammar at 93% of the SRS. These and many other private schools will continue to be funded by the Commonwealth at over 80% of the SRS until 2029. They're actually even more overfunded because these figures don't include state government funding. In contrast, public schools in Victoria face an unprecedented funding crisis. They do the heavy lifting in the school system. According to the report on government services, they enrolled about 80% or more of disadvantaged students in 2020. 2019. 79% uh, of low SES students, 84% of the Indigenous students and 100% of remote area students. Also, over 90% of the most disadvantaged schools are public schools. National and international tests show these students are two to four years behind high SES students by years nine and ten. Government funding for public schools should therefore increase much faster than for private schools. Unless there's a dramatic change in school funding policies of the Commonwealth and Victorian governments, the vast inequity in school outcomes will continue for the rest of the decade. The chronic underfunding of public schools in Victoria and the rest of Australia is an education and social disaster. Huge increases in funding have flowed to where they have the least effect. The misallocation threatens huge costs to individuals, society and the national economy because it means continuing failure to address disadvantage in education and life. This leads to lower school completion rates, higher unemployment, lower incomes, lower health outcomes and less access to positions of power and influence in society for disadvantaged students. School funding policies thereby contribute to the social reproduction of inequality in our society. It is an appalling social injustice, but it's also a drag on Australia's economic growth and prosperity. Thank you very much, Dale and Kim. It's a sad, sorry story, isn't it? Um, and uh, Gonski, of course, is not very happy about it, but we'll have a bit of a... Uh, a break now and we'll come back to see what Mr Gonski, who in 2011-2010 started a lot of this talk about the SRS, which by the way is the school resource standard. Uh, it's approximately uh, between 13 and 14,000 per student. So when a private school is um, spending 25,000 per student, you can see why uh, people are wondering why they should be given um, extra government funding, especially if that school also has fees, or some of these schools have fees between 30000 and 40000 per student. We really are not looking after the vulnerable children in our society as we should at all. But uh, we'll have a bit of a break and we'll come back to see what Mr Gonski had to say at, um, at a talk he recently gave.
I think Welcome to Country is a very dangerous concept and initiative. I really don't know where Welcome to Country even merged from. I know that I don't think it was a, obviously an Aboriginal initiative. I think obviously governments had uh, introduced that as they were pacifying our flag of resistance. You know, the idealism that lies behind that obviously is so that white people can feel a sense that they're more guests and they've got a right of ownership and to be here. If we're going to continuously welcome them to country, what that does, it rectitudes the fact of the moral racism issues in which they perpetrate against our people. Because how can we be talking about all these other issues and then compromise a hypocrisy in our own selves to welcome these murderers and these uh, slave traders and this barbaric sense of what they've done to occupy Australia on one hand and, and welcome them on the other? You're listening to Radical Radio 3CR. Well, you're still listening to the Dogs Program, I hope, because Maddie is now going to tell us what Mr Gonski of the Gonski Report of 2010, who talked about SRSs and needs policies, has got to say about the current situation. Over to you, Maddie. Thank you so much, Jean. Yes, the architect of Landmark Gonski School Funding Reforms has called on governments to fully finance his review a decade after it was launched, and says he regrets not recommending that the money be distributed directly to schools. Businessman David Gonski said he was disappointed that many schools were not receiving all the needs-based per-student funding that his report had intended. Speaking in an education forum at the Opera House on Thursday night, Mr Gonski said 100% of the schooling resource standard, or SRS, consider that the minimum money required to educate students adequately should be funded. If the government can't afford it and has to find other sources, it's up to them how they do that, he said. He continues, if they have to slow down other schools, that's up to them, not to me. I would really like to see the funding done properly. Ten years after the Gonski Review report was made public, Some experts say the ambitious reform package has failed amid falling educational outcomes. But Mr Gonski stood by his report and said public schools in New South Wales were currently only receiving about 88% of the SRS. Of all Australian jurisdictions, only ACT public schools were receiving more than 90%. The SRS is a base amount of funding for each student with loadings for different types of disadvantage, such as disability or Indigenous heritage. The state's share of public school funding is 80%, while the federal government is responsible for the remaining 20%. As a business person, as a human being, not only do I believe that your destiny should not be determined by your demography, but I also believe that we have an obligation to maximise human capital, Mr Gonski said. The Gonski reforms have come under criticism for handing out student funding directly to school systems, state and Catholic, instead of to individual schools. The systems can distribute the money as they see fit. Mr Gonski conceded it was a mistake to support this method of funding distribution. I was one of the people that was convinced that we should pay this money to systems, he said. He also said, but I think we should be true to our formula, which was to trace it through to every single student in every single school. He also regretted recommending an annual government funding increase of 15% or $5 billion. He says he should have never put that in the report. To those who felt they had to pay it, it was too much. And for those who wanted to fund the schools, it was too little. Everybody debated the $5 billion dollars rather than the neat phrase, needs-based funding. New South Wales Education Minister Sarah Mitchell said the state had led the charge on needs-based funding, being the first jurisdiction to sign up to the original Gonski Agreement. We continued this support, 
signing the new agreement in 2018 and were the only state to provide additional funding to public schools, a further investment of 712 million, she said. She added, funding is important, but how schools use that funding effectively is critical. New South Wales Teachers Federation President Angelo Gavrilados said without full funding of the SRS, there could be no level playing field. The schooling resource standard gave us the mechanism to give every child the opportunity to achieve, he told the forum. But 10 years later, our schools are only at 88% of that minimum level of funding. That means effectively one in eight kids are not being funded. A spokesman for Acting Education Minister Stuart Robert said the federal government's funding for state schools was forecast to grow by 100% between 2018 and 2029. He said a Productivity Commission report showed federal investment in schooling had grown faster for both government and non-government schools compared with the states and territories. Commonwealth funding for government schools increased by 64.1% per student in real terms over the past 10 years, compared with 49.8% in non-government schools, he said. Well, they're very interesting figures that Mr Roberts has given, aren't they? In very. Any case, even, if it is, even if it's right and there's 64.1%, there's more than that percentage of children in public schools anyway. Mm. And there's 49.8%. There's a great deal more than the 32 to 33% in the uh, private sector. So um, he's up to a point, he's um, more or less saying that, yes, he has been favouring the private schools, which, of course, we all know he has. But we'll have a little bit of a break and uh, we've got some even more interesting news for you uh, because we're going to find out about a private TAFE college, which um, just closed overnight. And here there were students who paid up to 25000 I think, for courses there. But we'll have uh, a bit of a break and uh, Jeff is going to tell us about the Maclay College matter. Looking for an easy way to keep up with your annual 3CR subscription? You can now set up an annual debit from your bank account or credit card and once a year your payment will be automatically deducted. You can cancel at any time and you'll get a reminder each year before payment. Be a constant supporter of Melbourne's precious independent community radio station and set up a recurring payment today. Just go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe. Listening to 3CR Community Radio 855 AM on digital and online. 3CR Radical Radio. 3CR. Well, you're still listening to the Dogs Program here on 3CR, uh, and we're here to defend and to promote public education and the common good. And of course, the TAFE sector has been part of that for many, many years, uh, since, uh, since even parts of the 19th century. The TAFE sector or the technical education sector has been there and it's fundamental if we're going to have a skilled workforce that Mr Morrison keeps talking about. But unfortunately, in recent times, the private sector has been encouraged by the Commonwealth Government in particular and even the state government. But the trouble with private education is that they are not under any obligation to fulfil their obligations for the common good they can go bankrupt and they can just close overnight. And there are some students in Melbourne who have just discovered that that's the case. Over to you, Jeff. Thanks, Jean. Yeah, this is an article from the Australian Financial Review uh, published by, uh, by, written by Julie Hare. And it's about the Maclay College students angry and confused by course, course closure. Um, it's from March 13th. When Laura Dufresne and her team classmates started their classes at Maclay College two weeks ago, they expected to be studying how to write the news, not become it. But when they each received a text message on Friday at 5.30pm telling them the course was to being discontinued and they had a week to formally withdraw 
or transfer to a vaguely related degree before facing a financial hit or academic penalty. They did what all good journalism students would do. They took to social media. We went to class on Friday and everything was fine, Ms. Defrayden said. When then we all got a message saying that in light of low enrolments, the course would no longer be available. The announcement also came as a shock to teaching staff who were only warned about the course closure 15 minutes before the students. Sources close to Maclay College, a private provider which offers courses in journalism, business and digital media, say a change in ownership last year appears to have triggered the decision. The campus moved from its long-term home in Fover Street in Sydney's Surrey Hills to Chippendale. Uh, students enrolled in, in the college's Melbourne wing were left without a campus at, at all. Federal Education Department data shows the college had 547 students in 2020, including 452 across its three degree programs. The degree costs $54,000 with no government subsidy because it is not a public institution. Uh, writing was on the wall, she says. Although student satisfaction with the college is high, employment and salary rates for the graduates are low. Recent graduates were expected to earn $36,500 four months after finishing and just $57,900 after nine years. The national average for similar courses were $42,000 and $67,900 respectively. The hurried closure of higher education courses, even in private colleges, is highly unusual. Unsurprisingly, the higher education regulator said it was, taking, it, it was taking a keen interest into why it happened and whether students were receiving proper support to complete their studies. The timing and manner this was communicated by Maclay College to their students is also of concern to TEXA, uh, the, which is the Tertiary Education Quality and Standards Agency, and their spokesman, spokesman said. Without prejudicing the outcome of our inquiries, should TEXA... Uh, identify a breach of the higher education standards framework, we will take the appropriate enforcement action to ensure student interests and standards are upheld. The Australian Financial Review's world editor, Mark Mulligan, is among the people close to the college and has taught there since 2014. He said resources had become incredibly tight with equipment for certain courses, such as radio, unavailable in the new campus. Investment in the school was dropping off. He said he saw the writing on the wall and moved to teach at University of Technology, Sydney, this year. Mr. Frain and her fellow students met at the Maclay campus on Sunday to debrief about what had just happened and to plan the next steps. We decided that we don't want to stay with Maclay College and do all the and do the other degree they suggested, the Bachelor of Digital Media. We all want to study journalism, but study it somewhere else, she said. We, we know we want to stay together. It's only been two weeks, but we've all become quite close, and this has brought us closer. Mr. Frayne said the students were all very angry and incredibly confused by what had happened. The college's new owner, Sarah Stavro, who also owns a vocational college called the Fashion Institute, was unavailable for comment. Well, uh, perhaps our listeners will understand why the dogs are very much against the privatisation of education at any level. Education is a right. It is not something to be played around with by people wanting to make profits. But we will uh, have a bit of a break and we're coming back to find out what's been going on at Quianbian. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio, 855 AM. Visit the 3CR website at 3cr.org.au forward slash podcast to hear the most recent recording from each show or 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming to listen live. You're listening to The Dogs Program here on 3CR and uh, we're now going to find out from Dale what's been happening up in McQueen Bian High School where the students have been told not to come to school but it's not because of COVID. Over to you, Dale. Thank you, yes. The students at Queen Bian High School have been told to stay home two days per week amid the New South Wales teacher shortage. Now, some students have been told to only attend face-to-face classes on campus three days per week as the school in southern New South Wales grapples with a shortage of teachers. Uh, In an email to parents, Queen Bian High School students said it had moved to mixed mode delivery operations for students in years 7 to 10. 
uh, the New South Wales Teachers Federation said there's a chronic teacher shortage in the region and the opposition education spokeswoman Prue Carr says the move is extraordinary. In an email sent on Monday evening, Principal Jennifer Green advised parents and carers that despite efforts to source local casual teachers, combine classes and reduce the number of classes for core curriculum subjects, the school did not have enough teachers for all classes to operate face-to-face on a daily basis. Due to the number of teachers on leave, in addition to the permanent positions we have been unable to fill, we're moving to mixed mode delivery operations, the email read. The changes mean that students in students in years 7 to 10 will only be able to attend campus three days per week, while students in year 11 and 12 are able to attend on all five school days. The email also noted that isolation periods due to COVID-19 meant many teachers and students were unable to come to school, but Senior Vice President of the New South Wales Teachers Federation, Amber Flom, said COVID-19 had only exacerbated underlying issues. Ms Flom said there were currently 36 permanent vacancies for teachers in New South Wales' Monaro region and 2,383 vacancies across the state. Before the start of the 2022 year, in the electorate of Monaro, there were already 36 permanent vacancies of staff, she said. That was in October last year. So yes, COVID has exacerbated the already chronic teacher shortage being experienced in the seat of Monaro and the Queen BM region. According to a recent annual report, in 2022, Queen Bee High had 538 students with 43% of families attending the school in the lowest socioeconomic quartile in Australia. New South Wales opposition spokesperson for education, Prue Carr, described the move by Queen Bee High as extraordinary. It just goes to show how bad the teacher shortage is right across the state and particularly in regional New South Wales. The fact that on top of the two years we've had, there are students that have to learn from home for several days a week, that's not acceptable, she said. The government has not done enough to address the teacher shortage crisis across our schools. Ms Carr said it was a fundamental right of all students to attend a classroom and some Queen Bean students were being denied of this right. We need them in the classroom. It's the right of every child in New South Wales to go to their local public school because the government hasn't fixed the teacher shortage crisis. We've got a situation in Queen Bean where not every child can go to school, she said. New South Wales Education Minister Sarah Mitchell says about 25 additional teachers have recently been placed in the state's regional schools. And New South Wales Education Minister Sarah Mitchell also issued a press release suggesting that more teaching positions would soon be filled across the state under a program to incentivise staff to move to make the move to teach in our region, regional, rural and remote communities. Ms Mitchell said that 50 teachers had already been placed in schools across New South Wales, including some regional areas. Queanbeyan High School was not on the list of 49 schools set to benefit from the program. Kathy Brennan from the New South Wales Department of Education says she believes schools across New South Wales had done well handling the shortage of teachers. Our schools have been really resourceful in making decisions that draw upon the expertise of all staff within the school, she said. We've had the extra layers of some of our non-school-based teachers being available. We And we've supported our schools with a coordination point for schools and our directors to identify additional staff who can come into the school and ensure educational continuity. We've been across the fact that not just in New South Wales, but nationally and indeed globally, there's been a real strain on teacher supply. In some subject areas, we need need to be more strategic and we have a range of scholarships and incentives to make sure we can get teachers where we need them most. But Ms Flom said the government knew what action needed to be taken to improve the situation and today's shortage was just a result of years of inaction. 
We've never seen it like it is now, she said. Our members said they've never seen a teacher's shortage so acute as it is today. And that's because we've waited 10 years for a 10-year workforce plan from the government and they've done nothing to address this. This is a crisis of the government's own making. Yeah, interesting, isn't it? So uh, perhaps eventually they might value teachers and pay them a bit more. And that way they might even get some um, well-qualified people into the schools that they still need to do their educational training. But uh, we'll have a bit of a break and then we'll come back for our international expert. Uh, Jeff has got some interesting international news for you. For three years, teachers have had their qualifications, their pay, their pensions and their working conditions attacked relentlessly by this government. I'm a proud product of a government-funded primary school education and of a government-funded secondary school education. Australia is one of the richest and luckiest countries in the world and there's no reason whatsoever why we can't have the very best public schools in the world. It's simply not good enough that kids with disability miss out. You're listening to The Dogs, the defence of government schools on 3CR. Well, you're still listening to the Dogs program, I hope. And Jeff has been wandering around the world on his computer. And uh, he's been to England, to Liverpool, and he's been over to America to see what Diane Rabbit has got to say. Over to you, Jeff. Thanks, Jean. And I, I do look forward to the day when travel happens other than vicariously uh, through the internet. Uh, but this one's um, yeah, a beautiful old town, Liverpool, of course, in England. And they've got troubles there because um, there's uh, the high-performing schools are oversubscribed and, uh, and they're having trouble getting just um, public, enough public school places for the students there. Um, and a lot of it's caused by religious schools. So anyway, this is from an article by Claire Hamilton and uh, Mairead Smith from the BBC Politics uh, publication. Um, Liverpool schools, the parents tack tackling admission policies. Um, so it starts. High-performing schools in South Liverpool are oversubscribed, the council says. It's like the children are fighting with the system, where the system's telling our children that they are second-class citizens. We know what that's like here in Australia, don't we, because our public schools are being underfunded. Ismail, Ismail Salah is among hundreds of parents in Liverpool who could appeal against their children's allocated secondary school place because they failed to get any of their five choices. He says his daughter is angry and depressed about potentially facing a two-hour round bus trip to a school outside her home in, Liverpool, in South Liverpool, which has the most popular schools in terms of preferences. My fear is racial discrimination. Would she get home safe? Would she need... Would she get to school safe? Many other young local youngsters also face uh, long school journeys from this September because nearby Christian faith schools have been oversubscribed. Ismail Salah plans to appeal against his daughter's allocated place. Uh, Aurelie Magrat is concerned that her son's admission in a school outside their area with no one that he knows could have a massive impact on him. Will he suffer discrimination as one of the few Muslim kids attending the school, she said. For Dr Amina Elmi from the Granby Somali Women's Group, uh, she has been lobbying for a change in schools' admissions, saying this is an issue that has been going on for decades. It's never been addressed. If an admission policy stops people from a certain community, from a certain race or faith, from getting into schools in their locale, then it's up to Liverpool City Council to tackle and change that. However, the authority says they do not have the power to amend admissions policies for certain schools, including academies and faith-based schools, but they will work to find out if Muslim youngsters are missing out more than others. Aurelie Magrat is concerned over whether her son will adjust to an unfamiliar setting. A recent council report reveals that the proportion of Liverpool children allocated their first preference fell this year, with 10% given places at a school that was not amongst their choices. 
This meant that 519 students were offered places as a result of not being granted any of their preferences, compared to 435 in 2021 and 385 in 2020. Councillor Tom Logan, Cabinet Minister for Schools, said the demand for places in South Liverpool was particularly intense. We've got really good, desirable, well-respected schools, but lots of people find it difficult to get places at them. A number of schools have admissions criteria that limit the number of places which are open to everyone, and then they offer them on a random basis, so it doesn't matter where you live. Councillor Tom Logan says Liverpool needs more schools in the coming years. He said that there are also a cluster of schools with a religious element to their admission policies. So if you're not Catholic or from the Church of England, then you don't, or you don't want a faith-based education, you'll find it difficult to get a place as well. The appeals process would normally be used for anomalies, he said, but this year we are expecting hundreds of parents to appeal. In a report circulated to councillors, Councillor Logan said the council has no silver, silver bullet to fix the issue in secondary schools. He has facilitated some advice sessions for parents who want to appeal, although given the demand for places, it is uncertain how many will succeed. Dr Amina Elmi says there have been problems with school admissions for decades. The green light has been given for one new free school, but Councillor Logan said Liverpool was in such dire need of more pupil places that more schools were, were required. He added that about 400 places in Year 7 were needed across the city over the next couple of years. As the local authority plans its school strategy and works with the government to see where places could be needed. Jonathan Jones, Director of Education and Skills at the Council, added that some of the city's schools had a, a, an historic reputation that deter parents despite good results. But he said the council itself could not build a school to solve the admission, admissions policy and that a free school or academy would have to be established by external trusts instead. This is a classic case of where public schools are desperately needed, but faith-based schools have been discriminating against certain members of the community uh, and uh, are allowed to get away with it. Because back, the, to the 18, the, back to the 18th century, isn't it? That's right. The, the, the government system has collapsed under the weight of, of, of need. Uh, and uh, teachers, uh, I mean, schools have been allowed to run their own admissions. Oh, also privatisation. Also privatisation, neoliberalism, since Mr. Thatcher. Hmm. It's a policy <laughs> vacuum, in yeah, fact, yeah. Uh, when it comes to public education in England. And yeah. we're heading that way as well. Uh, as, as we know, our friends in America are. And the second article I've got here comes from our fabulous Diana Ravitch uh, blog, uh, which is uh, an unusual situation that's developed in uh, Seattle in Washington State. And it's the, uh, the article is called Washington State State Ordered Fines Charter Schools Are Hiring Uncertified Teachers. So it's um, from earlier in March. Bill Gates, she says, struggled for years to bring charter schools to Washington State over the opposition of parent groups, teachers and civil rights organisations. Charter schools, for those who don't know, are the private schools system that they're trying to bring in, that they have brought in broadly across the United States. So they're private schools. When we say charter schools, the same thing. Which are, which are almost completely publicly funded. Mr. Yes. Yeah. That's right. They're another but, way of... Obama sent his children to Washington. Yeah. They, they bleed the public purse without actually uh, taking any of the responsibilities and uh, of, for the broader education of, of the public. They're selective and that sort of thing. Anyway, he, Bill Gates lost three state referenda but won the fourth barely by blitzing voters with a multi-million dollar campaign that the opponents could not match. And she says, Diana Roberts says, be careful what you want. First, a credo report found that the charters did not outperform the much maligned public schools. Now a state audit reports that charters in Seattle and Tacoma are breaking the law by hiring uncertified teachers. Teachers who lacked proper accreditation taught at charter schools in Seattle and Tacoma in violation of state rules. This was discovered through an audit. State Auditor Pat McCarthy called these findings unprecedented. The state audit found that Summit Sierra and Summit Atlas, which are schools in Seattle, and Summit Olympus, a school in Tacoma, received nearly $4 million in funding related to the positions, which may now need to be repaid. The auditor's office 
estimated that summit schools re received 3.89 million in state funding, more than it should have related to the teaching positions filled by uncertified staff. In a formal response to the audit findings, an attorney for the summit public schools, public being over there, is, that's just a word they've included in their business, Summit Public Schools challenged all of them and the state's repayment calculations. It simply is not the case that a person is only qualified to teach under Washington law if he or she has a state-issued teacher certificate, wrote attorney David Stearns. The auditors, Stearns wrote, failed to recognise the explicit exception to the teacher certification requirement that applies to charter schools. Jessica DeBarros, Interim Directive uh, Executive Director of the Washington State Charter School Commission, which authorises and oversees public, uh, summit public schools, disagreed. All public charter schools are required to employ certified teachers, DeBarros said. The Commission fought, supports full compliance with all of the audit recommendations, including repayment of inappropriately granted state dollars. We have since strengthened our systems to ensure these inadvertent reporting issues will not happen again said Kate Godfridson, spokesperson for Summit Public Schools. We will work with the Office of, Office of Superintendent of Public Instruction to develop an appropriate plan to address these findings. Aren't there such a lot of administrative titles in the United States? They seem to have so many different competing systems of bureaucracy. There is an, an ongoing uh, uh, expansion of various uh, over, overviewing executives especially in the charter system. Yeah. It's, not, it's not clear why the spokesman for the charter chain thought the problem was a reporting issue, not a breaking the law issue. Uh, that's, that's Diana Ravitch's comment on that one. And I just want to squeeze in one more quick article uh, for, about uh, the Koch uh, uh, Institute, the Koch Foundation. And this is an article, again, by Diana Ravitch, called Learn About Uncoke My Campus. And the Koch Foundation has made gifts to over 300 institutions of higher education. These gifts are restricted, given to create an institute or centre where libertarian ideas can be promoted on campus. In one such centre, a speaker was invited to lecture on the moral case for fossil fuels. Universities should be open for where different ideas can be debated, but it's absurd to have a centre devoted to only one point of view. Fortunately, a group called Uncoke My Campus has made a mission of exposing Coke money and its purposes. And the Coke, of course, is one of the, uh, we, we don't call them oligarchs, we just call them billionaires um, in, in the United States who are, who are warping the education system to suit them. Anyway, I received, she says, I received this message recently. At the beginning of February, Brown University faculty members voted to postpone the creation of a new Coke-funded centre, the Centre for Philosophy, Politics and Economics, PPE. This push could not have happened without grassroots organising efforts spearheaded by Students Against Coke Influence, Saki. The faculty now intends to adopt a more robust gift and grant acceptance policy ahead of the next vote on the PPE centre. With growing awareness of the ways in which Charles Koch buys influence over hiring research and curriculum in, the higher in higher education to achieve these goals, we, a call to protect against such donor interference in academia is growing. We built power with Saki students to ensure we, act, we enacted a cohesive strategy to employ a rigorous pressure campaign at Brown University. We've also provided the, the resources to take campaigns like this to the next level. Like our model funding policies for higher ed, institutions uh, policy. A move to kick Coke-funded research programs off campuses across the nation is already underway. We're hot on the Coke's network trail. So Charles Coke is, is just one of, of several billionaires we've been focusing on in this segment um, who are re really trying to in install their version of, um, of uh, libertarianism, which is ultra right wing, uh, conservative, teaching uh, in high schools in, across America. And this is this is a pattern we're seeing here too, where people like, I believe, Jean had those something about Clive Palmer trying this sort of tactic as well. <laughs> well, well no, what's I going on there, Jean? I, I think we're dealing with, um, we're dealing with oligarchs and uh, 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 the same as they have in, in, in Russia, actually. And billionaires uh, really get very up themselves and think that they can become, quote, 
influences. They're soul um, cleansing, aren't they? They're, yeah, they're, cleansing. And, uh, they're trying they think, to cleanse their souls. Well, money can buy everything, apparently, and that's what Mr. Clive Palmer apparently uh, thinks. Uh, he can throw his money around uh, to get himself into Parliament and um, or make sure that the people he wants to be in Parliament are in Parliament, which is what he did in our last election. Sadly, but, um, it seems to work. Well, uh, up to a point, I think that that was a good story about how, in fact, the students and grassroots uh, movements uh, act as a break on these people, and we have to remember that. But uh, we've got another good news story coming up, of course. We've got to have our great state school. Every week on the Doctor Program, we have a special segment to show a different state school is a great school. State schools are great schools. School of the week. State school. School of the week. Great state schools. State schools. School of the week. School for the week here on the Dogs Program. And our great state school of this week is Carlton Primary School. Congratulations, Carlton Primary School. I'm going to read out the principal statement from their website and their principal is Julie Large. And she says, at Carlton Primary, we enjoy state-of-the-art learning facilities as well as large, soon-to-be-redeveloped outdoor play areas. More importantly, though, we have fabulous teachers and education support staff who are committed to the work that we do here and who, along with our great kids, give the school the positive vibe that visitors talk about. In recent years, almost $14 million has been spent on bringing to life the new Carlton Learning Precinct on the school site. This incorporates a community hub and early learning centre as well as the school. The vision for this facility is for children and their families to succeed together. This is a vision central to the work of all of our stakeholders, where we aim for an invisible transition for our young people from birth through to year six. Carlton Primary School is a central part of the learning precinct, which encompasses family services, including maternal child health, consulting rooms for secondary services, play groups, and an early learning centre for babies through to preschoolers. We are privileged to partner with the Our Place, City of Melbourne, and Gowrie Victoria to bring this exciting model of health and education provision together for the Carlton community. On a personal note, Julie Large would like to introduce herself. She's been the proud principal at Carlton Primary for over a decade, and she's had more than 30 years experience working in various schools and education support service roles. She's committed to issues of social justice and equality of access for all children within a high quality government school system. She loves the challenges that managing a school brings and always strives to ensure that children are at the centre of every decision that they make. She wants each child and their family to have a successful educational experience and for the whole family to develop a sense of belonging to the school community. That's awesome. She sounds like a really dedicated school principal and someone doing great work in the government school system. So thank you, Julie Large. I'm going to well, throw some- These children would come from the, um, from the Carlton Flats, I think. And they come from a fairly disadvantaged and also non-English speaking background. But let's find out a bit more about them, shall we? Absolutely, yes. These facts and figures are from the ACARA, my school website. The school has 101 pupils. And the ICSIA value of the school is 952, which is well below the average of 1,000. The students are hardly representative of the community. This is a disadvantaged community, mainly drawn from the council flats. Only 5% have parents from the upper 25% in income, 16% uh, in the second highest, 25% from the third quartile, and 54% from the poorest 25% of the community. 87% of the pupils speak a language other than English and 1% are of Indigenous parentage. So it's a school full of disadvantaged students with a dedicated principal and amazing teachers. It costs the taxpayer $24,000, which is well above the Gonski resource standard, 
to educate a student at this school. This school receives only $640,000 from the federal government and $2.13 million annually from the state government, $67,000 from fees and $102,000 from private fundraising. The capital grants in the last three years have been $13.5 million, and all of this money is money well spent. The NAPLAN results of these disadvantaged students are comparable with those of a similar background. I just, do you have anything you'd like to add on to that, Jean? Oh, no, I just think that it's, uh, it sounds like a lovely school. It also sounds as if some of the wealthier parents in the area are quite happy to send their children to this school and also uh, raise money for it because uh, for a, a school of 101 pupils, that 132000 I think it was, that they raise every year for private uh, funding, that's, that's pretty good going, you know. So, um, and I think too that the idea that the school is part of a much bigger community hub uh, servicing its community is a very interesting idea. So it's a genuine community school. But our time is gone and we thank you for uh, being with us this week and we look forward to meeting up with you again next week. If you want to find out more about us, go to www adogs.info. But from Dale and Maddie and from Oliver and from Jeff and from Kim, it's bye for now. I dreamed I saw Joe Hill last night Alive as you and me Says I, but Joe, you're ten years dead. I never died, says he. I never died, says he. In Salt Lake City, Joe says I, him standing by my bed. They framed you on a murder charge, says Joe, but I'm dead, says Joe, but I'm dead. The copper bosses killed you, Joe, they shot you, Joe, says I, takes more than guns to kill a man. Says Joe, I didn't die. Says Joe, I didn't die. And standing there as big as life and smiling with his eyes, says Joe, what they can never kill went on to organize went on to organize. From San Diego up to Maine, in every mine and mill, where workers strike and organize, it's there you find your hill. It's there you find listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.